can start it to, 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 to lose. Do you know that God wins every battle? He wins every encounter. Can, can anyone pinpoint a battle God lost in Scripture? There isn't one. The, the devil, the enemy rose up against him in rebellion. But who won that battle in heaven? Bible, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And, and he, I don't believe he was referring to something that happened right then when he was saying it. I believe he was speaking eternity long in the past when, when, when Lucifer was cast out of him. He said, I, I was up there. I watched him fall like lightning. He didn't win that battle, did he? The Bible says, the Bible says whatever is born of God does what? Scriptorians in here. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This isn't my message, but it's good stuff. It's all right to have some extra stuff, isn't it? You guys too hot in here? Anyone going to respond? Anyone not going to say anything no matter what I say? <laughs> no, I'm all right. I'm actually, it's just while I was doing the music there that I was really hot, so I'm like, ooh, sweaty. But uh, I can manage it. Because if I open the doors and windows, everyone says it's too cold in here. So I have to sit here sweating and getting hot so that everyone else can be comfortable. <laughs> But God, God, God doesn't lose any battles. We'll get to my message in a minute and to what I was going to say. But you know what? The Bible says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But it also says that in the same passage, 1 John 5, whatever is born of God or whatever, whoever is born of God overcomes the world, isn't it? He says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Why? Because we're in an overcoming family. Notice the connection there between whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you see that connection? What's, what's it saying there? We're in a family that overcomes. You know, you know that in the natural, people sometimes look at someone else and say, they're just born into the right family. They, they, didn't, they didn't have anything to do with it. They're just born in the right family. They're born... With, you know, I, I think they used to have an expression, if I remember correctly, someone born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Has anyone heard that expression a long time ago? Well, you get someone born into royalty. They're born into position. They're born into power. They're born into a family. Why? Their birth determines their destiny. They're born into the right family. The Bible says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What's that telling you? Spiritually, when you receive Jesus, you're born into the right family. We've got, we've got a father who has never, ever lost a single confrontation, and he never will. We've got Jesus who has never lost a confrontation. Someone says, oh, well, he lost on the cross. No, he didn't. The, the, his death he said, no one takes my life away. I'll lay it down. The devil tried to kill him many times. The only time he died is when he said, right, now's the time to do it. And he used the enemy's weapon of death to overcome him. That was a tactic. That wasn't a defeat. And then he rose victorious. So he won, didn't he? And, and, and the Bible shows in Revelation, Jesus is coming and the confrontation's coming with the enemy in eternity. Who's going to win those? Sorry, not in eternity, but in, in, you know, in Revelation. So it's not eternity, it's not that far away. But the confrontations in Revelation, who wins those? Jesus? When he comes on the white horse, who wins? You realize, do you know, the devil has never, ever won a single confrontation against God. Have you ever thought about that? So God has won every battle. Jesus has won every battle. The devil has lost every battle against God. Who's got the better track record? And, you, you know, but the, the, the enemy, the devil, he's, he is, first of all, he is, he, you think he deceives you, or deceives people. You know, you know, that's his job, he deceives people. Do you realize to be that much of a deceiver, you have to be pretty deceived yourself? People don't think this, you know, you know, the devil's not as big and powerful as he likes to make himself out to be. You know, Hollywood portrays the devil as the Lord of hell. 
Anyone ever seen that in movies? He's not the Lord of hell. He might be the prince of darkness or whatever like that or whatever, but hell is his prison. He's not the gatekeeper of hell. People say, oh, the, you know, when you go to the demons, are going to be torturing all the humans. Not according to the Bible. That's their prison. They're not the prison keepers, the prison guards. That's their place of punishment and torment. Do you realize that? <laughs> okay. So he's not as impressive as he makes himself out to be. He, makes, he wants to portray himself out to be some great ruler, great winner, you know. And, 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 and he is also deceived. He was deceived to think he could overcome God in the first place. That was a deception. When he said, I will ascend my... He tried to use his words against God. You know, God created with the word. This is what we're gonna be, we've been talking about. We're going to continue talking about the power of the word in just a minute. But, you know, God, God spoke out and he said, light be and light was. And he spoke that out into existence. But you know, the enemy tried to use words against God. See, the enemy knew the power of faith. He knew the power of words. He knew that when God, God spoke creatively, he, he's been around God ever since he was created, the devil, yeah? Angels were created before us, but they were still created beings. And, and he's, been, he's seen how God operates. He saw God speaking and operating creatively with his words. So one day, in his own deception, he thought he would do that. And he said, I will ascend. What's he doing? He's speaking, isn't he? I will ascend above the throne. I will, and he, Isaiah said, I will do this. I will rise up above God. What he didn't realize is that the power of words is released when it's in connection to the power of God's words. And so when he went against God's words, and besides that, he never had the authority to use his words like that. But he tried to do it. But he was deceived. The deceiver is actually the most deceived. And he, he was deceived into thinking he could beat God. You know, the, the, the devil is not an equal opposite to God. He likes to portray himself as the big guy, doesn't he? You know, the closest comparison, well, it's not even close, but the best comparison I could probably think about in, in terms of God against the devil is like an ant trying to stand up against a tank. Yeah? An ant, little squishy thing on the ground, against a big military tank, or, or an ant trying to stand up against a battleship for that. Okay? He, 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 he wants us to think he is an equal opposite of God. He's not. But he still thinks he can beat God. And he's, it's what he's trying to do. He thinks he can beat the Word of God. He thinks he can beat the, the, uh, God, and he tries all the way. And eventually God just keeps showing him who's boss, and he's just not getting it because he's the ultimate deceived being. And he wants us sucked into his delusion. <laughs> Yeah, but, 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 but we, 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 we need to be realized, I'm born in the winning family. I'm put on the right side. I'm born in the family that overcomes. I'm born in the family that, 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 that the Bible says, God says, I'll always cause you to triumph. I'll always give you the victory. Is that true? Amen? You know, that's, that's just side thought. That's not, just, that's not my main message today, but I just wanted to, to, to give you that as well. Let's go... So you want to remember a little bit about what we've been talking about. I've been doing a series. In fact, it's kind of on the poster there. It's time to move forward. It's time to move forward. Now, I'm repeating this and, and, and covering it again and saying it again because it is time to move forward. I believe, I believe that God, God doesn't want us stuck in the same place. He doesn't want us stuck in battles that we just can't seem to get through. Some Christians are stuck in a place where they've been they're fighting the same battle they've been fighting for 20 years. Whether it's a battle against their flesh, just an area of their flesh, a habit they just can't break through. Whether it's in their physical body, they're trusting God, praying, believing God for healing, and they just can't ever seem to get through that. Whether it's, another, whether it's a family situation, whatever it is, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers at the situation and condemning, but, but, but you see, many people are stuck in stalemates, and we've looked at stalemate situations. We talked about David and Goliath and how it was a stalemate before David arrived. 
We've talked about um, the woman with the issue of blood. Before she heard about Jesus and came and touched his coat, clo- uh, his mantle, his, 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 yeah, his coat, um, before she reached out and touched him, and before she heard about him, she was in a stalemate for 12 years. She'd been stuck in that situation. Uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. Now, you might think they were moving forward. I talked about this a bit last time. But do you realize that even though the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and were going toward the promised land, they, they got stuck in the wilderness, didn't they? In fact, they got stuck there for 40 years. There were certain lines they couldn't get past. They had the glory of God. They had the, 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 the most anointed minister, you could even say, in the Old Covenant. One of the most anointed, certainly. They, they, they were blessed of God. Balak tried to curse them, and he said, you can't curse what God is blessed. They were blessed of God. They had the, an anointed leader. They had one, a powerful prophet at the helm. And yet, and they, yet they, couldn't, they couldn't get out of the wilderness, could they? They got stuck. And, and so there's a number of situations we see in Scripture where, where, where people or groups got stuck. And, 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 and we've got to realize it's not God's plan that we get stuck. It's, it was God's plan for the children of Israel to get into the land. Just because a person is stuck in something doesn't mean it's God's will that you're stuck in it. This is, some t- this is part of the deception the devil tries to tell people. Because you, because you get stuck in a situation, he begins to try and say, well, maybe God wants you in that situation. That's not the, God didn't want them in that situation with David and Goliath. God didn't want the woman with the issue of blood stuck in that situation. God didn't want the children of Israel stuck in the wilderness. But they got stuck. And there had to be a release of something. And in many of those, in many of those instances, you see faith was a factor that got them through. So in this series, we're looking at, uh, it, well, actually, let me just say this before I, before I say that. It, it's time for us as individuals to move forward. God doesn't want us stuck. He wants us to get some breakthroughs. How many of you want some breakthroughs? How many of you want to be stuck in situations? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't want to be stuck in such. I don't want to look back in 20 years and say, how much have I really progressed in 20 years? I don't want that. I, I'm not satisfied with that. But how many of you know, even in this country, I, you know what, as I've been teaching this series, I've been getting people message me. You might not realize it, but these videos do get around. And, 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 and uh, it's, why we, it's why we stream them, because I want the word out there. And, and uh, you know, we've got, we're here to do it. We're here to fulfill a purpose in this nation. We, we're still starting out with the church, new things going on, but we're here to fulfill a purpose. We're here to, 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 to get the Word of God established in this nation. That's what we're going to do. And, and, and the, I've had people message me and say, they, they said, yes, you know, I've even had some saying, you know, the church I'm going to hasn't moved in 20 years. They're stuck in the same place. There's no movement going on in my church. That's what people have been messaging me. People have been recognizing, yes, you, you, what you're saying is correct. And I want to tell you something. It's time in this country for us to move forward. Do you know in the wilderness, did God, I didn't say this last week, but, and, 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 but, and it was in my, my notes, and I never got to it, so I'm going to say it here. In the wilderness, did God move for the Israelites? Did he do anything for them? Anyone remember the time they were in the wilderness? Okay. Children of Israel in the wilderness, before I say anything else, this is my coffee that was down here. I forgot about my coffee. Have a quick sip. In the wilderness, remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt? They'd been in captivity in Egypt. They went through the wilderness and then they came to the promised land and Joshua took them in. In the wilderness, now like I said, they got stuck in the wilderness. But they had to pass through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Now, in the wilderness, did they, did God move for them while they were in the wilderness? Did God do any miracles? God did do miracles. In fact, some of the most spectacular miracles in Scripture. They, they got the Red Sea. I mean, they've just come out of Egypt with all the plagues of Moses. Then they come to the Red Sea. The Red Sea was a stuck, stalemate situation. They couldn't go forward. They couldn't go back. In the natural, they were stuck. God moved powerfully. They got through that. Then they go into the wilderness, and situation after situation that these people encountered in the wilderness, God moved for them. Do you realize, I've said this before, they woke up every morning to a miracle. And just see a miracle of provision every now and again. 
Do you realize that for 40 years, they walked out of their tent in the morning where food was on the ground? That, that manna miracle went on for 40 years until they entered the promised land and didn't need, didn't need the manna anymore. That's a 40-year sustained provision miracle going on there. for that, for, Not just for one or two people, for an entire nation. That's not bad, is it? Do you realize the manifest glory and presence of God was on that nation in the wilderness? Remember they had the, 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 the pillar of, I always get it the wrong way around, the pillar of fire by night, and it was a pillar of cloud by day, wasn't it? That's, I get that wrong way around. But they had that pillar of fire. Do you realize that that was the manifest presence of God? That was the glory of God. They could wake up in the morning, look out their tent, and go right over there. Look, look, hey guys, look, look, look. That's the manifest presence of God right there. That's not bad, is it? I mean, we... Christians think it's great when God's presence comes in a meeting every now and again. And there have been meetings where people have seen the glory cloud. Do you believe that? I've had times of the incredible anointings of God. And it's wonderful. But in the wilderness, the children of Israel had the manifest glory cloud with them for 40 years. In the natural, they weren't in the spirit. You realize they were not like, woohoo, in the spirit. They were in the natural world. They saw with their real physical eyes the glory cloud. Every moment of every day. That's not a bad sustained miracle, is it? Do you realize what, what this people had going on around them? Do you realize what is happening to that nation as God is bringing them through the wilderness? And they had other miracles. They saw the Red Sea split. They saw God moved in battles for them when people attacked them. I can't even remember. They saw water coming out of a rock, didn't they? Remember the first time Moses struck the rock? The second time he was supposed to speak to it. But the first time he struck the rock, water came out of it. And I, I don't know about you. Sometimes people realize, think maybe it was like a little rock this, this tall. And Moses went, come on, come on. And a little bit of trickle of water came out. That wouldn't feed a nation that big. It's got to be a lot of water coming out of a big rock. Probably the size of a river coming out of it. I mean, we could go through the different miracles that they saw in the wilderness. But I want to say this. Do you realize that in the wilderness, they had all of the glory and presence of God, but none of that could get them into the, into the promised land? And do you realize that entire nation... Despite everything they saw, the Bible says they were in unbelief, weren't they? You know, no matter what God did for these people, they would still would, would, would doubt God. They would question God. They would still say, oh, the next situation they faced, oh, how are we going to get through this? Well, the same God that got you through the last 27 you know, situations is going to get you through 28th time. Oh, no, I don't think he will. He's going to let us down this time. How many of you realize when God gets you through, 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 and then you turn around and say, I don't think he's going to do it. That's a bit of, that's an insult to God, isn't it? That, that just shows no matter what God did, they had no confidence in him. And so they doubted him, they questioned him. But this, this, this is what you need to realize. Did God do some powerful things for that nation in the wilderness? Yes, he did. But people say this, will God do miracles for someone who's in unbelief? Have you ever heard that question? Will God heal someone who's in unbelief? Well, look in the Bible, ask this question. Did God do miracles for the children of Israel when they were in unbelief? Yeah, they saw spectacular miracles. But... There's one thing they couldn't see. This is, this, is, this is what you need to realize. There's times God will do things through you despite your unbelief, despite your unbelief. But there are certain things you cannot step into until you step into believing God. The children of Israel, they had Red Sea split. They had water come out of a rock. They had manna on the ground. They had the manifest glory of God. But when all the dust settled, they were still in the wilderness. Not one of those miracles took them out of the wilderness. All of those miracles sustained them at the
the place they were at, and they were surrounded by wilderness. How many of you know wilderness is not a, it's not a, I mean, it's not the most exciting place. Wilderness is a dry place, isn't it? So they would, they would need water. They would cry out to the Lord. God would move for them. Water came out of a rock, and they all got to drink, and then the water stopped coming out of the rock, and the next morning they woke up, and they're still in a dry place. They're still in a wilderness. The point is this. None of those miracles moved them forward. Those miracles sustained them at the level they were at. But it didn't take them forward. Only one thing could take them forward. Forward meant coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. And this nation got to the very verge of the promised land, and they thought God will just take us in the same way he's always taken us in. We moaned and complained when we had no water, and God just gave us water. So they moaned and complained at the verge of the promised land. They did exactly what they've always done. And they got up, they moaned, they complained, they grabbed, they said, oh, we can't do it. And then the next morning they got up and said, okay, you know, God's, God just takes us in no matter what our bad attitude is. And they lined up for battle. And God said, I'm not going with you this time because you won't believe me. And they, re- they discovered that their unbelief couldn't move them forward. Their unbelief could only sustain them at the level they were at. Why am I saying this? Some of you have heard me say this before. There's some lines you cannot cross over until you step into doing it the way God says to do it. You might get some results. God will move you. God is merciful. He'll do some things for you. Jesus walked Peter back to the boat while Peter was in doubt. So God does do some things for people. Jesus didn't let Peter sink and say, well, Peter, you're in doubt. Swim back. Jesus lifted him up, walked him back to the boat while he was in his doubt and unbelief. Yeah? Got him back to the boat, sat him down in the dry boat, and now talked to him, Peter, why did you doubt? He didn't leave him swimming out there, did he? So God will move in people's lives and do some things at the level they're at. And very often, he'll come through for them. He'll provide for them. He'll heal them. He'll do something for them. But their life is still stagnant at the same point. Because those kind of miracles don't take you forward. And even it's been the case in this country as well. How many of you know in this nation, we've had God move. God's, God's done moves of God. God this, you can look back 20 years, you can look back 30 years, and you'll see God had done some things in this nation. Even in the time that I've lived here, because I wasn't born here, okay? But I've been here a good, quite a few years. I moved here in the late 1980s. This is quite a while now for the first time I moved here. It's quite a while. And I've seen God do things in this country, but it seems like God's, God moves by his spirit, have a great move of God, and, and people get all excited, and then it dies down again. And when the dust settles, the churches are still at the same place. They were before the move of God. Anyone notice that? Why? Because the same pattern that I've just described about the children of Israel in the wilderness is what we're seeing in this country. You might not like me saying that, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's true. People say we need another revival. We need God to move by spirit again. No. Well, yes and no. What we don't need is another move of the spirit that blows through for three years, and then it dies down, and then we go back to normal. That's what we don't need in this country. i tell you something. You know, <laughs> Remember during all the, and the, you know, the lockdowns and all of that, I, I, I panicked. I got into panic because, you know, there were some things about, you know, that I had on my heart for ministry that I wanted to do in this nation. And I knew I wasn't quite in position to do some things, yet I had just started some meetings. Uh, and I'd been, you know, I'd been in ministry for years, but I was doing different things. But I was just stepping out to do something that God had told me to do um, in ministry, we started some of the meetings. Remember, then it all shut down and we all locked down and we didn't ever need to meet and whatever like that. And we couldn't do much about that. But um, during all the lockdowns, the pandemic, and the Christians were getting all excited about, oh, God's going to move. Revival's going to happen. Look at what's happening. We're in the end times. And I remember I got a bit panicked because I heard people talking about revival. Now, I knew God wanted to move. I'd been talking about that before. It didn't take a lockdown for me to start talking about God wanted to move. I was talking about it before then. Okay. 
But but I got a bit panicked, and I thought, oh God, the the revival's going to happen in this nation, and I'm not in p- position. It's all going to happen, and I'm not ready. I panicked. I really did. I was I was crying. I was going, God, we don't even have a hall to do a meeting in, and we're going to just see this mighty revival go across the nation right right in the middle of after the pandemic. How many of you know we didn't? Okay, but this is me. I was I was at home. I was like, God, I don't even have a hall to do a meeting in. <laughs> Because we had done them in houses, and now suddenly, you know, anyway, I don't want to get into all of that. But I got a bit panicked. You know what? The Spirit of God spoke something to me. Because I saw some Christians were getting really excited about God. And they're like, oh, they're posting all over Facebook revivals coming to the UK. I got all panicked. And I just, I was like, God, 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 I'm not in position. And you know what he spoke to me? He said this. He says, you wait. When the dust settles, many of those churches and groups will just go back to their old routines. I might be wrong, but that's what he spoke to my heart. And you know what? I've seen it happen since. I, I, I personally feel it's happened. You know what? Christians get excited. The Spirit of God moves. The dust settles. They go back to their old patterns. Why? Because there's only one thing that will truly change the church. And it's not a move of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. And you can, have a, you can have a people that reject what God says and reject teaching of the word, and then they oh, let's have a move of the Spirit. The Spirit, very often, God will move. Sometimes they can have a move of the Spirit. But when the dust settles, they go back to their routine because a move of the Spirit cannot sustain a change in a church. Only changed thinking and believing can sustain a move of God, and that has to happen through the word of God. So as long as Christian churches in this nation push away truths of Scripture, and how many of you know we've seen that? We've seen moves of God, but we've seen churches push away truths of Scripture. They don't want to hear certain truths. We've got to realize if we want to move forward into things God's got for us in this nation, we have to open our hearts to the truths of the Word. God's been trying to get His Word into the church, and the, you know, you might not believe me. You might see it in different things in other churches, but I've spoken to pastors, and I can see rejection of the word going on in places. Oh, we don't like that teaching. We don't like what this happened. We don't, we don't agree with this teaching. We don't agree with it. And you look in the word, and those teachings, they say, oh, we don't like this teaching, is in the Bible. That rejection of the word is keeping the church in this country in a stalemate, stagnant situation. They'll have moves of the Spirit just like the children of Israel had moves of the Spirit in the wilderness, but they cannot advance into the fullness of what God's got for them. Because that was none of that was planned as part of my message today, but I think I need to say this. What, when, when Joshua took over, when Joshua took, took over from Moses, we read this last week. This is what I've been trying to get to, and I'm already halfway through my time. Okay, but you don't mind if we just repeat ground and, and stick and, and go at the pace we have to. Anyway, if we got to stay on a series. We stay on a series for longer. But when Joshua took over from Moses, what did what did God say to Joshua? I mentioned this last week. I don't think I talked specifically a lot about Joshua last week. Remember in Joshua one, Joshua is about to take over from Moses. How do you like to do that? How do you like to be next in line after Moses? I mean, it's bad enough taking over a nation. I know some people want to rule nations, but, you know, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to be prime minister of a nation. My word, the responsibilities, okay? And, 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 and this is the people who've been in the wilderness. They don't even have, they don't even have a location to, yet. They're heading to their location. And, and, and you know, Joshua's got to take over from Moses. This is a guy who split Red Seas and called, and, you know, not called fire down, called manna down, whatever, from heaven. And now Joshua's about to take over from him. I mean, I'm, I, I, I've got to wonder at some point in Joshua's mind, maybe in the middle of the night when everyone else is in their camp, I'm wondering if he thought to himself, oh, can I do this? How do I follow that guy? How do I follow? It's, it's one thing for me to be his helper, was second in command, or was military leader, but how do I follow Moses as leader? I'm sure at some point he thought that, don't you? Do you realize he was human like us? 
somewhere, he might not have admitted it to anyone, but I'm sure somewhere inside of him, he thought, how can I top what Moses did? But she, so in Joshua 1, God comes to Moses, and, and he gives, and he, uh, God comes to Joshua, and God gives Joshua some instructions, doesn't he? What does he say to Joshua? Does anyone remember, or do we need to go there? Anyone, anyone want to see it? Okay, I'll, let me tell you. Joshua chapter 1, God says, first of all, he says, I will be with you like I was with Moses. That was some good, that was comforting. Because he's, he's letting Joshua know Moses was not powerful because Moses was impressive. Moses was, was powerful because of who was with him. So God says, I'll be with you in the same way I was with Moses. So that can immediately, Joshua's like, well, i got God's presence with me. That's good news. But you know what? Then God came to Joshua, and God said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Now, what's it when he says this book of the law, for us it's easy to think, well, he's just he's referring to the law. Do you realize the law was all Joshua had? The law was the only written scripture Joshua had by that time. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Ephesians, Romans, 1 Corinthians. All he had was the writings of Moses. That's all he had. But that, those writings of Moses, do you realize it's called the book of the law, but it is the word of God? So what does God say to Joshua? Meditate in the word, day and night. I don't know about you, but if, you, if you're naturally minded, you'd look at God and say, how's that going to help? <laughs> God, do you realize we've got battles to win? We've got real natural enemies to face. Real battles ahead of us here. This, is, this isn't spiritual battles in the heavenlies, Lord. These are real people with real stor stor sp storms, spears, and I was going to say sticks, spears, swords, shields. These are real people that are going to wipe us out. There's real natural battles in the real world. For us, that would be guns and tanks and all kind of stuff, yeah? And God says to Joshua, spend meditating my word day and night. How is that going to help? See, if you're naturally minded, you don't think that's going to help you. But God knew that the power of his word would put Joshua over in any situation, no matter what he's facing. A lot of Christians these days, you tell them, go get in the word of God. They think, how's that going to help? You don't know what I need. Because one of the reasons Christians think like that is because they don't recognize the power of the word of God. God knows the power of his word, which is why he tells us to saturate ourselves in it. Because he knows the power of his word gets released into our lives when we saturate in it. So he tells Joshua, get in the word day and night, saturate. He's not, he's not making a law for him to live by. It's not just a, yes, I must do it to please God. He's, 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 he wants Joshua saturated in the power of his word because God knows his word is needed to take them into the promised land. His, his word is needed to move them forward. That's the one thing they the, the previous generation had rejected over and over and over in the wilderness. Every time God spoke to them, God said, I'll, take, I'll give you the land. They said, no, there's giants in the land. We can't get in there. They're rejecting what God's saying. They're pushing it away. See, the power of the word is what Joshua needed to advance. They already had Moses and the power of the spirit. They needed the power of the word. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you something. This is why I wanted to stay. Last week I talked a bit about the Word, and I'm going to talk a bit about more now, although I've probably just about finished my time for today. And I'm, that's my intro. We're ready to preach the main message now today. <laughs> we'll give it to some of you. You need to realize this. The, the Word of God will move you forward in ways that nothing else can. And in fact, the Spirit of God... Although the Holy Spirit will and can and does move at times when necessary separate from the Word, 
And that's, that's the mercy of God. When people reject the word and the Holy Spirit still does something in life, that's the mercy of God. Although that can happen, ideally, and the way God really planned it to happen is that the Spirit and the Word work, move together. And actually, that's where you see the power move. Like in Genesis, when the Spirit was hovering on the water and God spoke, the Word and the Spirit moved together. That's actually God's plan. But God has been trying to work in a, in a church that often rejects his word, and sometimes he'll give them the move of the Spirit, but that's not his ideal. So many Christians think, well, we just need another move of the Spirit. We need another move of the Spirit. But they're stuck. Because actually what this nation needs, if we want to see the church reach the place it should reach, is the power of the word working in this church. And the truths that keep getting pushed away, and the traditions and doctrines of man, and ideas and opinions, and denominational ideas that are so deep-rooted in people's thinking that they keep falling back to them, pushing the word away, have got to be broken if we want to see the church move forward in this country properly. Do you realize... The enemy will attack the Word of God more in your life than anything else. You might not that realize that's true. You look in Scripture, he, he will, the devil will do more to attack the Word than he does anything else. Why? He, he wants to stop the Word. Why? The enemy, the devil, knows the power of the Word. The Word of God. But you know what? He will also try to talk you out of the power of the Word. You know, one of the most common things I hear from Christians, you preach a scripture to them. Take Mark eleven twenty three. 23. You preach to them. Jesus said, now notice who's talking. Who's talking? Jesus? Not me. Okay. What I'm about to quote. Jesus said, <clears throat> Verily I say unto you that whatsoever things you desire when... Oh, that's Mark eleven twenty four. Now I got the quote wrong. Have faith in God, for, for, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever he said. Do you realize that's a scripture? Who said it? Jesus spoke that. You know how many people have come to me and say, yeah, but I tried that and it doesn't work. Listen, listen through. This, this is something you need to get a hold of. And people reject that scripture. Oh, well, yeah, but that doesn't work. I've heard people say, yeah, but that doesn't work every time. Everyone ever heard some of that? You need to realize something here. You need to realize what's going on. Why? Why is the enemy spending so much time trying to convince Christians that scriptures don't work? Because he wants you talked out of the power of the word. When someone says, yeah, but I did try and it didn't work. Let me, let, me talk, let me tell you something here. How many of you, the first time you ever got on a bicycle, you rode it perfectly? Is there anyone here? How many of you? Let's try another one. How many of you, the first time you drove a car, Everyone drive, who, who, does everyone, who drives here? How many of you, the first time you drove a car, you got it perfect? I mean, literally, your first ever lesson. Now, I'll be honest with you. I thought I got it perfect on my first lesson. I, I remember I got in the car, and I drove, and this, I didn't stall. I, didn't, I was like, oh, the gears are not that difficult. We drove along, and I said, this is great. I was driving. It's my very first lesson ever. Got a driving instructor next to me. I thought, this is great. I don't know what they all complain about. I didn't grind the gears. I didn't. You know, all my starts off with the traffic lights were perfect. I had a great lesson. I walked out of that lesson thinking, I can drive. I'll pass my test in, in about a week. I got in for my second lesson, and everything went wrong in the car. I couldn't drive. I ground the deers. I stalled. And then I suddenly realized this. The guy next to me, my instructor, had a dual set of pedals. Ever seen those cars? He was doing the clutch <laughs> during my first lesson. So it didn't matter how badly I did the clutch. <laughs> I could, because he made sure it was perfect. That's why I thought my first lesson was perfect, because he was doing a lot of it for me, things that he ultimately wanted me to learn to do. <laughs> then I suddenly realized, but you know what? I didn't drive perfectly my first lesson. I made some mistakes. I got a few. But how did you ultimately learn to drive? You kept getting back up and doing it again. 
It's how you learn to ride a bike. No matter how many times you fall down, you, you keep getting up and you do it again. If we would approach scripture with that mentality, we'd actually progress. But you know what? People hear a scripture, they try it three times, don't, can't get it working in their life, and then they walk out and say, well, I'm not trying that again. I'm, I, it doesn't work. If, you, if that's how you approached learning to ride a bicycle, you would never learn to ride a bicycle. The whole thing about human beings is that you keep at something until you learn to get it working. What happens if you step out on Mark 11, 23, 75 times, and for some reason you, 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 you think, oh, well, it's just, it's just not working. That's when you get up number 76 times and say, let's go at it again. Because I'm not going to question God. I'm not going to question what he said. I'm just going to realize I'm still learning to get it working. But the problem is not in what he said. The problem is not in the truth of what he said. Because the enemy wants to convince you God's word doesn't work. He wants to convince us off the word. Why? Because that shuts down the power of the word in our lives. What was the enemy's strategy in the Garden of Eden? We should, we should open some scripture, shouldn't we? I've been preaching up here, quoting scripture. Let's go to scripture. Go to Genesis. I want to show you this quickly. We need to become so convinced in the power of the word and the truth of the word that you never question it, even when it doesn't look like it's working in your life. Because the strategy of the enemy is to convince you it's not working because he wants you to back off and abandon that truth. Why? Because he knows if he can get you off the word, the power of the word, he, he can really actually walk all over you. And, and he's used this strategy in Christian's life. He used this strategy in this country. A lot of Christians have tried. They've heard a few things about the word and faith, and then they've, they've tried it three times, or they've tried it for a little bit. Then they got discouraged, and they backed off it. You've got to look in the word and become convinced what God said is true and the power of what God says is true, and it'll work. What kind of faith did Abraham have in Romans 4? Romans 4 says he, he wasn't moved by the fact that his body was dead. He held to. The Bible says God had said to him, I have made you a father of many nations. And Abraham held on to that. And Romans 4 said he eventually became what was spoken. He became the word, but he had held to it with an unshakable foundation, not being weak in faith, it says was strong. He wasn't moved by what he said. He held to that word. He wouldn't let it go, even when it didn't look like it was working. And that's the kind of faith we're pointed to in the Bible, the kind of persistence that will not let go of the truth. I'm convinced of the truth. I won't let it go. Because the enemy wants to convince you out of the truth and power of Scripture. So what did he do? Where did I say go? Genesis. Do you realize, I'm going to finish on this. There's a lot that I haven't got to today, but that's okay. Do you realize God created man to live by the power of his word? We're right the way back in Genesis. In fact, how was, the, how was the universe created? How was the earth created? By the word of God. You've got scriptures all over the place. You've got... Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Do you know that multiple times in Scripture, the Bible points us to the power of God at creation through His Word? Psalm 33, verse, uh, verse, I think verse 6 up to 9, talks about He spoke and it was. He commanded and it stood fast. And it's talking about creation. Now God spoke that into, His Word was released into creation. Genesis 1, God said that there be light, or light be, and light was. God spoke, God said, his word was released. One of the first truths we are presented in Scripture is the power of God's word. It's on page 1. And, how do, and, and then God creates man. God creates man. And... and, and, and you might not realize this. Do you realize 
the truth we live by faith is not just a New Testament truth. That's how God created man to live all the way back in Genesis. It's just that man got disconnected from that. God, man was created to live by faith in what God said. And you go through Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see it keeps, after God created man, you'll see things like, and God said to Adam. What's he doing? He's releasing his word to Adam, isn't he? God's speaking his word. What comes by hearing the word of God? Faith comes by hearing the word. That's not a, just a New Testament truth. That's an eternal truth. Faith has always come by hearing the word of God. And God said to man, have dominion. What's supposed to happen inside of Adam as he hears that? Faith births. The word of God births faith on the inside of him. And Adam begins to live by faith and belief in what God said. And that faith released power on the, the power of the word of God in his life. This is how he was created to function. And as long as Adam and Eve were living by the power of the word of God, everything went right. As long as they believed what God said, as long as they had confidence in what God said, what God said was birthing faith on the inside of them, and it, this was supposed to be a, 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 what do you call a cycle that never stops? Reciprocal? An ever-repeating cycle. There we go. That's what I'm going to call it because I can't think of the word right now. This is supposed to be, and you'll find through Genesis, it says, and God said to Adam, and God said to man, and God said, what's happening here? Is God just giving him philosophical principles to live by? No, this is the same word that said, like be. God is releasing the power of his word into Adam and Eve. And faith comes by hearing the word. Adam and Eve were, Eve were created to live by hearing the word and what enabled them to walk in the place that God had for them was the power of the word working in their life. This is how man was created to function. Now let me ask you this. How did Adam and Eve fall? The fall of man? What was the sin? Someone tell me, what was the sin? Someone says, someone says, well, they ate the fruit. You just missed the plot, didn't you? Do you, know, do you know what went wrong? Eating the fruit was not the first thing they did wrong. Look at it in Genesis 3. What did the enemy attack in their life? How did the enemy start this attack? What gave the devil access into them? Did the devil just, was the devil just able to come into the garden and do whatever he wanted? What gave the devil access? What did the devil attack? The whole of Genesis 1 and 2 says, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. Yeah? Presented the power of the word. What does Genesis 3 go into? Let's read it. Verse 1, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which, which God had made. And he said, who said? He said to the woman, what are the first four words out of his mouth? Does he say, go, go eat the fruit? Come on, go eat the fruit. He doesn't say that, does he? Not the first word out of his mouth. What's the first four words out of the devil's mouth? Has God indeed said? What's he attacking? What's he attacking? They were created to live by the power of the word. What's the devil attacking? They would never have eaten the fruit if the devil hadn't been able to first get them off the word. The devil had to shake them off the word in order to get access into their life. If Adam and Eve had held to that word, now how does he do it? God didn't say to Adam and Eve, just don't eat the fruit because I don't want you eating the fruit. Now he could have done that, but what did God say? Don't eat the fruit because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you realize God was actually protecting them by saying don't eat the fruit? He wasn't just creating a list of laws. God knew 
It's going to release death. Yeah? It's like when you say to your kids, don't go and play in the middle of the road. It's not because you're being a mean parent. It's because playing in the middle of the road is going to hurt them. Yeah? Do you want to understand that? So God, when God said, do you realize God is a good God? He's always been a good God. He was a good God all the way back in Genesis. That's not just a new truth. God's goodness was for man. And God wanted man, Adam and Eve, when I say man, to walk in the power of his word and to abide in his goodness. God would never have held out on man. Now, if Adam and Eve had become convinced of what God said and had lived by and said the power of that word, I will not eat of the tree of the God knowledge of good and evil, for God has said, if I eat of it, I'll die. And if they said, I'm going to continue to hold on to faith in that, I'm going to believe that what God said is true, so I don't want to eat of that. You see, if they'd lived by faith in that, nothing would have ever gone wrong. Where did it go wrong? Eating the fruit was the symptom. What went wrong is they lost confidence in the power of the word and the truth of the word. And that's what the enemy attacked. He says this, has God indeed said, first of all, he questions what God said. Did God really say that? And he says, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. So he questions what God said, but notice what happens next. He gets the woman thinking. Now the woman gets it a bit wrong because she doesn't really know the fullness of it, but I don't want to go into all that right now. The woman said, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it. That's the bit she got wrong, lest you die. Notice verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. What's he doing? God didn't tell you the truth. What God said is wrong. What's he, 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 shakes, he gets her thinking a little bit, a little bit shaky first. Did God really say that? And then the devil said, God's holding out on you. You won't really die. God just doesn't want you to know that when you eat of it, you're going to be like God. God's holding out on you. You can't trust what God says. That's what the devil's saying. You can't trust what God says. God's not saying the right thing. God's word is unreliable. That's what the devil attacked. And the moment that foundation became sh uh, shaken in Eve's life, everything else went wrong. What do you think the devil's trying to attack in, in our lives? Oh, that truth's not working. Oh, you've tried that. It's not working. And, and he spreads these things. What's he trying to do? He's trying to, uh, he's trying to unsettle us off the word because man was created to live by the power of the word. If you want to move forward, this is what God said to Joshua. In order to enter into the fullness, you need the word working in your life. If we're going to move forward as church in the United, in the United Kingdom, the word's got to be functional the way it's supposed to be. But the enemy will attack this, and it's what he attacked in the garden. When the enemy managed to pull man off the word of God, he got access and he, he took man into the fall of man. So when I say to you, what actually was the first thing that went wrong? The first thing that went wrong was not that they ate the fruit. The first thing that went wrong is they shifted off the word of God. And began to question it, began to doubt it. Now, Ever since then, right throughout scripture, God has been looking for people who won't shift off his word. What was it that he liked about Abraham? A man who grabbed the word and wouldn't shift of it. What did he like about Noah? God spoke to Noah, there's a flood coming, and Noah built his entire life around that, and he prepared and says, let's build an ark, and he didn't shift off that. No matter, 120 years, he didn't shift off that word. He kept building an ark. What's God trying to raise up? A people who will not shift off the word, because when we won't shift off the word, the power of the word can work in your life the way it's supposed to be, and that's how man was created to function all the way back in Genesis. Amen? Now, I haven't got, I, haven't got, I wanted to get that little bit out there at the end, because I, I spent a long time at the start building foundation and taking side journeys, but I want you, I want you to begin to realize 
if you've got, we've got to build on, on the inside of you an unshakable foundation. Nothing will shift me off the word. The enemy will do everything he can. That is what he's trying to shift in your life. Because the power of the word is the only thing that can really take you forward. Man was created to live by the power of the word of God. It's supposed to be this way. Our faith connecting into the power of the word releases the power of that word to work in our lives. That's how Je Adam and Eve were supposed to live like that. If they kept in that position, the power of the word of God, the same creative power of the word that spoke the world into existence would have worked through Adam and Eve's lives. But the moment they stepped out of the power of that word and out of, they, they, they questioned it, they, they, something in their mind pulled them off that word, everything else crumbled from that point forward. You've got to realize I'm created to live by faith. That's the Bible, why the Bible says we live by faith. That's, I don't believe that's just a New Testament truth. I believe that's a New Testament truth that takes us back to the way we were supposed to live in the first place, all the way back in Genesis. If you will maintain yourself in the power of the word and you won't let yourself be shifted off, even if it doesn't look like it's working, even if you try it a hundred times and it just goes wrong every time, you say God's word is not the problem. I'm learning to work it, and I'm may maybe I'm still learning to work it a bit, man. Well, otherwise, I'm just going to persist and stick at it. But I will not back off or question the word. Too many people back off the word. They listen to what the enemy says, and the enemy shifts them right off, and he keeps us in that stalemate. How many of you are done with stalemate? The power of the word is what's going to advance you. You'll say, I'm not backing off it. I'm not, I will not shift off what God said, told, told me to do. I'm going to hold to it. I'm going to hold to it. I'm going to hold myself in that position because I believe in the power of the word and what God said it'll do in my life. God said, my words are life to you and health to all your flesh. Well, I know the Bible says that, brother, but you know, you know, I read a few scriptures and it didn't really do anything to my body, so I'm not really sure the Bible's life. To you. There you go, shifting off the word. God said, the man who meditates in the word will be like a tree planted by the rivers. I heard someone, can I, can I give you one more thing? I heard someone say something about that scripture this week. I was listening to something. I thought, man, I never thought that. I never saw that before. <laughs> this is just bonus. Yeah, there's got nothing to do with the topic. Well, it's a lot because it's the word that does it. Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man doesn't sit in the sea and goes on, but it says he, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And it says this. He, you might have seen this truth before. You're all going to look at me like, oh, I saw that one before. But this, this will bless you if you haven't, okay? It says this, he shall be like a tree. How many trees? He shall be like a tree. So who's like a tree? You, the person in the word, singular. A tree planted by a river? Rivers. How many rivers you planted by? That's not one river. That's plural. I never saw that before. The tree is single. You, you're not just a tree planted by a river of blessing in your life. That's a tree planted by rivers of living water. That's, that, 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 that shows the flourishing power of God's word in your life. It doesn't just make you like a tree planted by a river. That would be wonderful. You're a tree planted by rivers. There's a rivers of flow coming at you from every direction. That's the power of the word. That's even more powerful than planting you by one river. Some of you might need to go home and think about that. But that's just a side thought. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to worship you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive and powerful. You spoke and, and, and it was. You commanded and it stood fast. Father, we have confidence in the power of the integrity of your word. We have confidence in what you said and we will not shift off that, Lord. We will not back down. We will not compromise. We will not move off the word and what your word says because we are, I, I'm convinced and I believe we are convinced that the word is what is going to take us forward into the fullness of what we need to be to, 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 to be taken into. And even though there are many that are looking for other ways to get into these things, 
They're looking for other routes and other avenues because they don't want to go the way of the word. So they're trying to take another route in. Even though they're trying, they're going to find they cannot get in until they take the path of the word. So we need, to, we need to open our heart to the word that God has been trying to get the church functioning in and once and for all function in that place. And it's when we're in the place of the word that you'll find that the, the miracles, the healings, the flow of the spirit will manifest like we have never seen before. This is why God has been trying to get the church into this place, but we keep shifting off it. Once and for all, we need to be convinced that that is the place we need to stand strong in. And then we will find we begin to enter into things that we have been praying for for a long time. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. We just worship you. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor. You are worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord.